Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Good to see you here this morning. I'm glad to be here. And I feel honored to be able to stand up here before you this morning. <clears throat> I want to uh, just start out and uh, urge all of us to get back to church. Let's get back to business. It's time, isn't it? I think you sense it. As has been mentioned this morning, we have Easter coming up. Last year, the devil got Easter canceled. And that's just not right. This year, we have, uh, with Pastor Josh and Amber and the team, we have a good Easter program that's being planned and being processed right now. It's going to come together and it's going to be awesome. And so I just encourage you to be here. But let's get back to the business of church. So I'm calling us all. Let's begin to spread the word and say church is in full swing. Amen. We're getting back to it. There's several things that goes into having good church. And one of those things that we have here at Harmony is family. And I don't know about you, but it's been disjointed this last year. Not because of us, but because of, of COVID. And we have to get that back. We have to capture that back. And not only capture it back, but then go beyond what we've ever attained before. Now, at Don Van Alec's funeral, we had a funeral dinner. And if you were here and you were helping with that, you felt once again the camaraderie, the fellowship, the love, the bond that we have here within our congregation. It was there. Was that not right, Tracy? It was there once again. And we felt it and it felt so good and it felt so warm and it felt so right. And we're going to begin to gather that back in again. And I'm just asking all of you, let's really make an effort to spread the word and to bring others. And let's get back to the business of the Bride of Christ. And we're going to begin to gear up with, with some meals and with some events again. And we're going to begin to gather back together as that family of God that, we, uh, that we've had in the past. And we're going to see God begin to do some great things and restore what the devil has stolen, the Lord's going to restore fourfold, sevenfold, a hundredfold. And we're going to see some great things begin to take place. And uh, we, f we feel like we've done our best to this point. But I know God has better. And He wants to take us on. So let's get back into this thing of church. I want to go to church. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I want to talk to us uh, this morning... Something I shared uh, just a few months ago, but I really feel like the Lord's putting this on my heart again, and it probably won't get done today, so it may uh, be stuck. You may be stuck with me again next Sunday. But uh, the second half of this message, especially, is I want to give credit to Tim Keller. Uh, but the title of my message this morning is Prodigal God. Tim Keller wrote a book called Prodigal God. And this message normally is referred to as the prodigal son. Now you realize that it does not say in the original writings, it does not have this story listed as the prodigal son. That was added later by uh, the printers of the books, the publishers of books. Uh, 
But it, it, there is a prodigal son. But there's way more than just the prodigal son in this parable, in this story. And so I want to be go, uh, begin to go through that. And I especially feel like I have some real revelation that has come to me over this story. Uh, we'll probably not get to it today, but we'll get to it to, uh, next week. But I still think that I know that there's one or two people specifically here this morning that need to hear some things that uh, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to share. So as we begin to look at this, the prodigal God, and we're going to be talking about the prodigal son as well. Prodigal, the definition for that is spending money or resources freely or recklessly, wastefully extravagant. A uh, second definition is having or giving something on a lavish scale. And I think you can begin to see how this word prodigal begins to tie into our God. Because God is lavish in His giving, is He not? Similarities to the word prodigal is generous, lavish, liberal, unsparing, bountiful, abundant, abounding, bounteous. And all of those things describe who God is. But don't try to get me to talk about that today. That's next week. <laughs> Another noun for that word is a person who spends money in a recklessly extravagant way. So we're going to look here at the 15th chapter of Luke. And I'm going to kind of skip through the first 10 and just kind of lay the foundation of what we're talking about here. In the 14th chapter, he winds that chapter up, up by saying, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, what good is it other than to be tossed out and to be trampled upon? And we are to be the salt of the earth. Amen. We are the ones who give life its zest. We as believers should be the ones who are giving vitality to the world. We should be the ones who are showing people how you can live and live excitingly and live abundantly and to live and flourish and add to the world and not be takers. Hallelujah. So he winds up the 14th chapter by saying that we are the salt of the earth. And then he begins to lay out some details. He starts out by telling about tax collectors and sinners and scribes and Pharisees. And I'm going to really hit on this next week once again. But tax collectors and sinners is a group. And then your scribes and your Pharisees is another group. That's who he's talking to after he's talked to his disciples. So he has these two groups. I'm going to challenge you this morning to begin to think this week how that every single person upon the face of the earth falls into one of those two categories. We've, we either are or we have been tax collectors and sinners. Or we are or we have been scribes and Pharisees. Begin to ponder on that this week and we'll talk about it next week. It also says a man owned a hundred sheep and one wandered off. He leaves the ninety-nine and he goes and finds the one. And what's he do? He comes back and he celebrates. He has a celebration of, over the one that was lost. And he says... The angels in heaven celebrate over the one more than the 99 who are righteous. And then he tells the parable of the woman who had 10 silver coins. That would be worth about $1,200 in today's economy. She loses one. She sweeps the house. She gets all the cobwebs out of the house. She gets the dust bunnies out from underneath the bed. And she finds her coin. And she comes back and she does the same thing. She gathers her 
friends and they celebrate over that coin was lost. And who once again says, greater is the one celebrated that was lost than the ones who have stayed. We need to be looking for those who are lost. Amen? And we need to celebrate whenever that happens. Then he continues on here in verse 11, Luke 15, verse 11. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, this would normally in a Jewish setting, the older son would have gotten two thirds and the younger son would have gotten one third. That's the way they divided it up back then. It wasn't a 50-50 deal. So the younger son comes and he says that he wants his share. So he not only gives the younger son his one third, he also gives the older son his two thirds. Now, if we think about it, I think most every family has at least one of these people in their family. Think about it. They have to do everything the hard way. Do you have a person in your family like that? They have to do things the hard way. We have one in our, well, we might have two in our family. I have to point the finger at myself sometimes. Have to do things the hard way. You can tell them to go up here and turn left, and by golly, they're going to go up there and turn right. They, they will, they just want to, they seem like that they just are going to learn things the hard way. It doesn't matter what you say to them. It doesn't matter how much instruction you give to them. They are going to go the, the hard route. There's someone like that probably in everybody's family. And what do you do with a person like that? We're going to talk about that here in a moment. But we have those that it just, it doesn't matter you tell them the blessed way to go, how to operate in the things of God, and they are bound determined that they're going to do it their way. They're going to do it the hard way. They have to do everything the hard way. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. The younger son, he began to receive what I'm going to call a restless spirit. And I think you can see a restless spirit in the world today. There is a restless spirit. You see it even in the church. We hurry up and we get to church so that we can hurry up and get out of church. So we can hurry up and get to the buffet. So that we can hurry up and get back home to take a nap in our, in our recliner and to watch the football game. We're restless. We're restless people. We get a little bit uh, been out of shape about maybe something at church or with somebody at church and we'll look for a different church. There's a restless spirit that is going on. Restless, unsettled, unstable, dissatisfied, disgruntled, disoriented. I forgot to tell you this morning that you may need healing for your toes after the service is over. But restlessness, we see it a lot. I wish I was retired. I'm bored with retirement. I wish my parents would trust me more and give me more responsibility. I wish I didn't have as much responsibility as what I have. <laughs> restless people. People are restless, unsettled in their marriages. The grass looks greener on the other side. And the old adage is true. It only looks greener on the other side because it was over the septic tank. 
people are restless. The poor are restless because they don't have anything. And the rich are restless with all the stuff that they have. And the poor and the rich are in the same restless situation. Why is that? It's because all of those things that give us contentment, that give us peace, that give us joy, are not coming from things. They come from a person. And it's Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so people are restless because they don't have hold of the right anchor. They don't have down on the inside of them the right stuff. And if you find yourself restless, take inventory of what you're focusing on, what you're looking at, what you're concentrating on. Because I can guarantee you if there's an, un, if there's an unsettled feeling in you that is ungodly, I can guarantee you it's because you have your eyes off of Christ. There's a restlessness. It came to this younger son. He began to see, see things beyond what he was experiencing. He didn't like the situation he was in. Him and his brother probably never got along. He didn't like the setup. His brother was going to be the boss. His brother was going to be the head. He didn't like the setup. He hadn't experienced too much of the world. The world was beginning to look enticing to him. He was beginning to say, well, man, I, I tell you, I need to go out and experience some stuff. Here he is. He's born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And let me say, spiritually speaking, you and I are too. Spiritually speaking, whenever we are born, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm telling you what, folks, that's worth more than anything we can imagine. Our, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. How does that name get taken out? We don't live according to God's standards and then our names are blotted out. Might go into detail about that sometime Brian Wise has been teaching that on Tuesday nights. If there's another opportunity for you to go and take in some uh, powerful teaching. This son, younger son, he was extremely self-centered, being totally led by the flesh. It's all about what I want, what I desire, fulfill my passions, my lusts, my enjoyment, me, me, me. That's the way he began to see life. That's the way he began to look. He said, give me the bottle and the model rather than my brother and my father. It's amazing how much of the good people will sacrifice for that which is bad. And you may not be doing any of those things on that scale. But how much do we give up that is bad for that which is good? We sacrifice it. We let it go. We don't spend time in prayer. We don't spend time in His Word. We don't spend time worshiping and experiencing His great presence. We sacrifice something that's lesser for that which is greater. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's what drug this young son down. The young son had no appreciation or consideration of others. First, he had no love or appreciation for his older brother. Secondly, he had no love or appreciation or consideration for his father. In fact, he's so dishonoring of his father that he basically says, I wish you were dead. 
I want your stuff. I don't want you. I want your stuff. And I think many times we can turn and do the same thing with God. We, we say, God, I know you are the creator of all things. All, really, all I want is the blessing. I don't want the one who does the blessing. And we can live our lives so um, internally, so selfishly, that we leave God out of the equation. We want his goodness, but we don't want God himself. This young son is saying, give it to me now. Even though the father was the one who had had the blood and the sweat and the tears and had earned all of his possessions here upon the earth, he had created a tremendous sit situation of wealth to where he had servants and he had enough to support two other sons as well. He's still saying, I don't want to take any of that into consideration. I just want to take what is mine. And the only reason it was his was because of the father. Amen. But here's the neat thing about the father. If you watch and listen to this story and you really take it in, you begin to see that this father does not allow that situation to sway him whatsoever. He gives the son what he wants, but he's not changed. He doesn't become bitter. He's not angry. And if you're dealing with someone in your family, be sure you're doing the same thing that the father has done with this younger son. Don't become hostile to your, to your runaway child. Don't just sweep them under the carpet and shove them out the door and, don't pay, and not pay attention to them any longer. You continue to love them. Now, that doesn't mean you accept what they're doing, but you continue to love them and you be, continue to pray for them. And you know that one of these days they're going to come back. Verse 13, it says, A few days later, this young son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. So let me address the son once again. You see, we know in John 10, 10, Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is trying to woo this son out of his home because he's under a shadow of protection. And you and I are too. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And the devil knows that he cannot touch this son as long as he's at home. So he's wooing him. He's trying to entice him. He's trying to draw him out by the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He's trying to woo him out. Come on out here. Come on. It's going to be fun. You're going to experience some things you don't get to experience under your dad, your brother. They're goody two-shoes. You come on out here and let's have some fun. And he's beginning to entice them. And we have to do the same thing in those situations as Joseph did with Potiphar's wife. What did Joseph do? Whenever she tried to seduce him, he didn't stand there and say, I rebuke you, devil. No, he fled. He ran. There's nothing wrong with running if you're running from the right stuff. He didn't give her any time whatsoever. He was not going to allow himself to look her over and say, well, this does look pretty good. 
He wasn't going to allow himself to go into that temptation. How tempting was it? Man, he did the godly thing. He ran. And I feel like if there's someone here this morning, you, it may be a married person. And it's not just men. It could be a woman here this morning. Somebody is being enticed. You're being drawn. You see, there's, there's some coverings I want to talk to you about this morning. One of the, the first covering is the covering of the Holy Spirit. You and I, whenever we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there is a covering over us. There's a protection over us. Once again, he who dwells in the secret place. Whenever we're there, the devil cannot touch us. He can't even tempt us there. That's why we're supposed to abide. That's where we're supposed to live. We don't just visit there. We just don't go there occasionally. We live there and the devil has to try to get you out from underneath that protection. The next protection is that within your home. Your home needs to be a safe haven. Whenever you are in your home, your home should be the safest place for your kids, for your grandkids, for you, for your spouse. That should be a place where there is absolutely no danger at all. You are safe in your own haven, in your own home. Once again, the devil's trying to draw this young man out of his safety spot. His safety spot was home. The next place of protection is in your marriage. Your marriage should be a shield for you. So that whenever temptation comes along, you say, nope, can't go there. I'm married. Any other person might say, what's that have to do with it? I'll tell you what it has to do with it. That's my protection. That's my shield. I'm going to be much happier in my marriage than I'm going to be messing around outside my marriage. And whoever it is who, here this morning... It may be a single person, it may be a divorcee, it may be a, a married person. I really kind of feel like it's probably a married person this morning. Can I war warn you, if you're considering stepping outside the boundaries of marriage and your protection, it's going to be tremendously painful. Don't be like this young son that you have to learn the hard way. Take it from Pastor Ron this morning. From the Spirit of God this morning. That is not something you want to do. You will find that that is going to be disastrous. And you will not be fulfilled in that. So if you're here this morning. I hope you hear this word. I'm telling you this out of love. Because I don't want to see you hurt and damaged. And I don't want to see others hurt and damaged. There's protection under the shadow of the Almighty. There's protection in our homes. There's protection in our marriages. Psalm 91, verse uh, 1 through 4. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the mighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. The snare of the fowler is coming after this young man. He's trying to snare him and drag him out of his place of protection. And he does the same thing to us. He shall cover you with his feathers. And under his wings you shall take refuge. Hallelujah. There is a hiding place. 
There is a hiding place. There's a secret place that Satan cannot penetrate. He cannot reach. Secondly, as parents and grandparents and a guardian, what do you do with such a wayward child? Some people here this morning, you are dealing with a wayward child, maybe a wayward grandchild, maybe it's a wayward other relative or even a friend. But for those especially of us, we're dealing with a wayward relative. What do you do? You let them go. Let them go. You do it in love. But whenever you release them, you no longer are trying to carry that burden yourself. Whenever you let them go, you are saying, God, I trust you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Lord, I am letting this child go and I trust in you. I don't know what ha what's going to happen here. I don't know how this is going to turn out other than I know it's going to work out for my good because Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good to those who are in Christ Jesus who are called according to His purpose. And I believe that. I believe it. I don't know what's going to happen here, but I am trusting in you. I release this child unto you. And I am believing that somehow, some way, I can't even fathom how you're going to do this, but I trust that you're going to work all of this for my good. And because it's going to be for my good, it's going to be for their good. Why? Because they were under the, the covering. Woo them back, Lord. Bring them back. I trust you to do that. Because if we try to do it in our own strength, what happens? You say too much. You don't always respond correctly. They definitely don't respond correctly. Which makes you not respond correctly again. You get a bad attitude. Your faith goes out the window. Your trust is nowhere to be found. Your peace is totally gone. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Now, do you only have the fruit of the Spirit when everything's going good? Or are we to have the fruit of the Spirit in the midst of things going wrong? I trust you, Lord. I know that you're going to do what I can't do. So I have to let this go. I have to lay this thing down. I'm trusting you. And then you pray that their resources dry up. Let's look at verse 14. You're releasing them. And then you pray that their resources dry up. Verse 14, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. Isn't it amazing how many vices go away? Whenever their dysfunction is no longer financed. So that's a word to someone this morning. Once again. 
Will you please stop financing their dysfunction? You're not doing them a favor. You're helping them in a disability that's not good and, good, and it's not healthy and it's not good for you. It's not good for them. Now, the verse goes way beyond just the wealth or the, the lack thereof. The proper translation of this should say this. It should say, when everything he had was gone. See, it wasn't just his money. Yes, pray that he runs out of money. Pray that that daughter runs out of money and she can no longer be financed in her dysfunction. But it goes way beyond that. It's when everything she had, everything he had was gone. So that means he's out there and he's run out of finances so he can't do the things that he was wanting to do financially. But also he's lost his peace. He's lost his joy. He's lost his tenacity. He's lost his will to do the things that he wanted to do because he's being chastised. He's being broken. It means much more than his banking account is dried up. It also means that his spirit is beginning to be transformed because his mind and his wills is being challenged and changed. We have to pray that their will will be turned back to God. His ambition will be gone. His pride and his arrogance will be broken. And he finally humbles himself. And even shamed of what he's done. Now here's where we have to divide when it comes to shame. We don't do the shaming. Sometimes we think if we shame them, it will cause them to realize what they're doing and it will bring them back. It does just the opposite. We don't do the shaming. The Holy Spirit brings conviction upon them. And then they begin to feel the shame. That's the only way it's going to work. We have to let them go. We have to trust God. We have to lean not upon our own understanding. We have to know that God's going to work all things together for good. And that the Holy Spirit is going to begin to break them down. It's interesting whenever you think about how wine is made. They go in and they press the grapes. There's a stopping point on the pressing. Because you don't press grapes to the point where it breaks the seed. If the seed is broken, it puts bitterness into the taste of the wine. You and I don't know at what point to quit putting on the pressure. But God does. He knows how much to press. And how much to do. You and I don't. We press too hard sometimes and we break the seed and we cause bitterness. So leave the pressing to God. You do the praying. You do the believing. You do the trusting. And let God do the rest. Hallelujah. Isaiah 57. 15 says this. For thus says the high and lofty one. 
who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. If you are proud and arrogant, if you have a wayward child who is pride, prideful and arrogant, they will not be, we will not be abiding with him in his most holy place. Now look what it says. It says, who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. God's intention is to bring everyone into salvation. His desire is that none should perish. Amen? Verse 15, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. You know, this was a huge insult to this Jew for him to first humble himself enough to where he went to a non-Jew to get a job, which was not good to begin with. And then not only does he go to a non-Jew to get a job, he's dealing with the swine, which is absolutely unclean for a, a Jew. That's how low sometimes a person has to go before they come back. Verse 16, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, finally, he came to his senses. And it's so much better whenever that person comes back to their senses because of the Holy Spirit, rather than because of us trying to convince them. Finally, he moved out of the flesh and he begins to operate back in the soulish area, the mind, the will, the emotions. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I will go home. He's going to go back to that place of protection. And I'm no longer, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and earth, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. I look at Verse 19, once again, it says, I'm no worthy longer of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. The father in interrupts him before he says, please take me as a hired servant. Why is that? Is because he wasn't a hired servant. He was a son. Jesus says, I once called you servant, but now I call you friend. Whenever you're a son, whenever you're a daughter, you can always return home. I'm going to try to wrap it up right here, right now. And we'll finish the rest of this next week. I'm saying to someone here this morning. First of all, don't allow the enticement of this world. Don't allow the wooing of sin to draw you out and to eat you alive. Don't allow it to happen. And if you need help, come to Pastor Josh or myself. We'll be glad to pray with you. We'll be glad to meet with you, whatever it takes. 
Secondly, I'm calling someone this morning. I'm calling you home. I'm calling all of us at large back to church. But I'm calling an individual or two back to home. Back home where you belong as a son or a daughter. So let's all stand. And I'm just going to say a prayer over you this morning. And if you fit one of those two categories, I would like for you to contact me after the service, Pastor Josh, after the service. And we want to pray with you. So, Father, as we have heard this message this morning, I know that there's a couple of someones who are being convicted. No condemnation, but conviction of a path that you're on, of something you've done, conviction of choices you've made. I call them to repentance this morning. I call that one that is being drugged, he feels like he's being drugged out of his comfort zone into a world that is ravagingly sinful. Father, I pray that that person will stay at home. And for the other person who has strayed from home, Father, we go out, we, we grab hold of them, and we want to pull them back in. I would pray, Father, whoever that person is this morning knows that they are received back into the fold because of a loving Father. In both situations, Lord, I pray that there will have been a great work done this morning of changing the direction of someone's life. We give you praise. We give you glory. May you be high and lifted up. In Jesus' mighty name.